There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. The question I'm going to ask on this podcast is very simple. It's six words long. Are all names for God legitimate? Now, pluralism embraces the idea that all paths to God are legitimate and no one worldview provides a full picture of ultimate reality or absolute reality. And because of that, some pluralistic thinkers would propose that any name assigned to God is legitimate and appropriate. Is that true? It certainly sounds loving and tolerant, but is it true? Or is there a correct revelation of the divine name that uniquely and powerfully grants us access into his presence and into a real personal relationship with him? This is a very important question. And I'll state my view right at the beginning because I believe God, I believe with all of my heart, that God has a correct name applied to him and that all of the names assigned to him in various worldviews are not all correct and that if he accepted them and responded to them, he would be making a very confusing and contradictory statement about himself. Let me support that statement with some proof. For instance, if God responded to the name Zeus, the primary God in the Greek pantheon, then he would be validating the existence of all the other deities in that worldview. If he responded to the name Jupiter, the primary god in the Roman pantheon, he would be validating, once again, the existence of all the other deities that are a part of that worldview. Also, if God responded to the name Brahman, which is ultimate reality in Hinduism, or Sugmad, which is a name given to ultimate reality in a group called Ekonkar, then he would automatically be indicating that the ultimate source of all things is just an impersonal life force, a cosmic level of consciousness, an it, not a he, not a personal God, but an impersonal force. So again, if he responded to the name Brahman, he would be validating that view of the nature of the Godhead. If the name Krishna was applied to God and a worshiper used that name concerning him and God responded, then he would be absolutely verifying the myths that go along with the story of Krishna, including the fact that he had 16,108 wives on the earth and fathered 10 children by every one of those wives, and he lived with each one of those wives in a separate palace. Where's the proof for that? And where are the offspring that came from those unions that are both human and divine? Well, of course, that's just mythical. And so God is not going to respond 
to the name Krishna, or he would be validating that story, that idea that is promoted as being true. If God responded to the name Ein Sof, that's E-I-N-S-O-F, a name given to him in uh, Kabbalistic beliefs, then he would be also verifying the Kabbalistic claim and Kabbalah is an offshoot of Judaism. It's like the New Age branch of Judaism. And they claim that God has 10 emanations. So if God responded to that name, he would be claiming that as a part of his spiritual makeup, that there are 10 emanations that proceed from him. If God responded to the entitlement Satnam, which is the Sikh designation for God, and it means true name, then he would be verifying what Guru Nanak taught, the founder of Sikhism. And that is the idea that the God of the Hindus and the God of the Muslims is the same God. And there's a quick way of proving that could never be true because the God of the Hindus on an ultimate level is Brahman, who is one with creation. Everything is a manifestation of Brahman, so everything has a divine essence. While on the other hand, in Islam, the worst sin you can commit is shirk, or one of the worst sins you can commit is called shirk, S-H-I-R-K, which means attributing divinity to anything or anyone. Hinduism attributes divinity to everything. Islam attributes divinity to nothing. How could they be the same God if the worldview attached to them has a completely different view of the nature of God with respect to his relationship to the universe? So I don't believe that that would be a correct way of referring to God. However, if God is referred to as Yahweh, which is the Old Testament revealed name, or the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the New Testament revealed name of deity, then he's indicating that only the Bible reveals his true character, his true names, and his true entitlements. And it also shows approval of Christianity's claims that God is triune in nature. And I'm going to cover this more completely in a little bit but that he is comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God. You don't find that concept of the Godhead in any other religion. And so none of the other names given to God in other religions would be connected to the correct revelation of his name. Now, it also proves that he is a personal God because Yahweh is a personal God. Jesus is a personal expression of God. And he is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Some of the deities I've already mentioned do not have those attributes, definitely. He is transcendent. He is above and beyond the physical creation. He's perfect in all his ways. And he's accessible only through the redemptive work that was done on the cross, through the crucifixion of the Son of God. The New Testament reveals that aspect of it. So just suppose that the Bible is right, and just suppose that Jesus is the only image of the invisible God. There's never been another quote-unquote avatar 
as taught in Hinduism, numerous incarnations of God, but that Jesus is the only image of the invisible God, the only incarnation of God, and that there is no unrighteousness in him, where many other gods and goddesses have all kinds of flaws in their character, but there's no unrighteousness in him, no error in his judgments, no flaw in his character, then if he responds to those names, he's verifying those claims I just made. But let me pick out another god. In the Hindu pantheon, the god Indra used to be revered greatly. Now he's not so focused on, but probably it has something to do with the myth that's attached to him. According to Hinduism, Indra was the one through whom adultery came into the world because supposedly he committed adultery with a sage's wife. And that sage found out about it and cursed him with the appearance of thousands of little ovals on his body, which are the uh, sign of the female sex organ as a result of his evil deed. And so uh, he's not very revered because of that. And as I said, it, it is said of Indra that through him, adultery came into the world and contaminated the whole human race. Now, I would not, as a human being, take another person's name on myself if that person was of criminal behavior or immoral behavior, then I would be assuming the bad reputation of that person. Why would I think God would be happy with an arrangement just as bad? Why would he accept unto himself a name that indicated immoral, illicit behavior on the part of the deity that bears that name? I think you see where I'm headed with that. Uh, definitely, God would not go along with that scenario. The problem is this. Through the millennia, certain persons, in an attempt to define unseen spiritual realities have attributed to numerous deities a great number of humanly created titles and names and legends and myths. And most likely, many of them possessed a genuine love for God as they conceived him to be. But there's a vast difference between loving God and knowing God. I personally loved God passionately, intensely before I knew him. I loved him deeply when I was seeking after him through yoga, through meditation. Fifty years ago, back in 1970, when I ran a yoga ashram in Tampa, Florida, I loved God, but I did not know God, and I did not know the correct interpretation of his name. I do admit, though, that some of the names and some of the titles in various religions do correctly define God's characteristics, his attributes. For instance, in Islam, there are 99 names given to God, and most of them describe various attributes. For instance, he's referred to as the living, the eternal, the supreme, the tremendous, the merciful, and the compassionate. Well, I'm sure you agree with me. All of those are correct descriptions of him and their actual personality traits of the true God. But they're titles. They're not personal names for him. They're simply descriptive titles. 
Also, I think it's interesting to see that not one of the names given to God in the Islamic faith indicates his fatherhood. He is not referred to as father because one of the main maxims that you hear Muslims give is that God is not begotten, neither does he beget. That's on uh, the Dome of the Rock Shrine in Jerusalem. It's chiseled into the outside of the shrine that God is not begotten, neither does he beget, because in that religion there is no concept of God actually begetting human beings spiritually in order to dwell within them. Man is too defiled, God is too aloof and distant and austere and holy, and there's no way that he would dwell within the heart of a human being. And yet, one of the basic beliefs of Christianity is, first of all, that Jesus was the only begotten of the Father, which means the only Son begotten only of the Father, that Jesus had no earthly father, that the Holy Spirit created his body in Mary's womb so that he became the firstborn among many brethren. Now, the rest of us are begotten of both an earthly father and a heavenly father. So Jesus is very unique in the fact that he was God manifested in the flesh. But we do believe that God is a father. In fact, that was one of the main areas of emphasis in Jesus' preaching. You only find the word father attributed to God a sprinkling of times in the Old Testament, but well over 100 or 200 times in the New Testament, he is referred to as father because that's the main emphasis. He wants us to come into a personal relationship with him. And so that's a true designation for God. That's a true name for God. I propose that with the exception of the one true God, all other gods in all the other religions of the world are humanly created, humanly manufactured. They are the product of man's often sincere yet erring attempt to interpret the realm of the supernatural. Again, because of the various characters assigned to these deities, they are are in many ways a misrepresentation of the nature of God. And if seeking persons use these wrongly assigned divine names, in their minds, they automatically associate those names with the myths attached to them. So, in many cases, if God allowed this, it would be counterproductive. It would be uh, it would be digression, not progression, as far as the advance of the truth in this world. It would be a confusing mess. And so God only wants the true name lifted up as a tower that we can run into. In fact, the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are safe. And in the Song of Solomon, it says that his name is like ointment poured forth. It's a sweet, perfume-like essence poured forth into our lives. Now, other religions celebrate the importance of knowing the name of God. In fact, in Hinduism, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, nothing is more purifying than the holy name of God. Well, I agree with that. But you don't find the name of God in Hindu sacred scripture. One of the, our chief pursuits, therefore, should be to know the true name of God. 
which is only discoverable in the Bible. The legendary founder of Taoism, Lao Tzu, taught that ultimate reality is an impersonal cosmic energy and a force that fills the universe. He admitted, now this is from the, this is from the Tao Te Ching. So it's quoted material. He said, I do not know its name. I call it Tao. That's T-A-O. From which you get the word Taoism, the name of that ancient Chinese religion. Now the word Tao means the way. So Lao Tzu is saying, I don't know the name of ultimate reality, so I'm just going to apply a name to it. I'm going to call it Tao. Well, in a way that connects to a title Jesus placed on himself because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. However, the way as described in Taoism is completely different than the way described in biblical Christianity. And so even though the titles are the same, the interpretation is far different. And so we have to be careful when we're fitting all these things together like puzzle parts. Praise God. Guru Nanak, I already mentioned him, the founder of Sikhism, he said this, that the creator's name is a stairway which leads to the maker, an ascent to the bliss of mystical union. And another version of that same passage in the Japji, and it's verse 32, says the way to perfection and the stairs leading to honor is this name given to God. And of course, that name once again is Satnam, which is not a personal name. It's just a description of what we need to know. Satnam means true name. Well, what is his true name? We need to find that out. And we are going to find that out on this podcast. I believe with all my heart that I have the answer. At certain pivotal times in the history of God's relationship with man, as written in the Bible, he unveiled different facets of his true name. From the very beginning, there was a revelation of the name of God given. In fact, the fourth word in the Bible is the word Elohim, which ironically is a plural Hebrew word, but is translated into the singular word God. In the beginning, God. The Hebrew word is Elohim, a plural word. Was that God from the beginning indicating the plurality of his nature, that there is one God, and yet he is comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I believe that first word, that first title attributed to him, does that various thing. And there are many other titles and names given to God in the Hebrew language, for instance, and I may go into them more deeply as we proceed, but he is referred to as El Shaddai, which means the Almighty God, or El Elyon, which means the Most High. He's referred to as Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, Yahweh Imkadesh, the Lord who sanctifies us. There's so many beautiful names given to God that indicate the way he reveals himself to us and the way he functions in our lives. 
And so it's so important to know his names because to know his names is automatically a revelation of what we can expect him to do in our lives. The the evolution of the name of God is very important as you follow it through the Old Testament. For instance, God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3, in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. In that burning bush encounter where Moses hears the voice of God speaking out of the bush and he says, Moses, Moses, and he says, here am I. And in his conversation with God, he asks God what his name is and what name he should, he should give to the children of Israel as the name of God. And he said, tell them that I am that I am. Tell them that I am sent you to them. And in the Hebrew, it's made up of three words. I am that I am is made up of Haya, Asher, Haya. That's H-A-Y-A-H, A-S-H-E-R, H-A-Y-A-H. I am that I am, which denotes that he exists within himself, that he has no source of being outside of himself, that he is the self-existent one that spans infinity past, infinity future. I am, not I was, not I will be, but I am that I am. What a descriptive name for God. And then a little further on in Exodus, chapter 6, verse 3, God is speaking to Moses and he said these words. He said, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, which in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. But by my name, and the letters in Hebrew now are Y-H-W-H, translated Lord in most of your English Bibles. But God said, by my name Yahweh, I was not known to them. Now, there's a lot of discussion over the correct way to pronounce what has been termed the Tetragrammaton. Over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, you find the word Lord in English as the translation of Y-H-W-H, which is really insufficient because, because Lord just means master. It's not a personal name. But YHWH was the revelation of God concerning his own personal name. Unfortunately, there were not vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. And so it can be pronounced several ways because it's not clearly indicated in the original spelling. But the Hebrew letters are Yod Hey Wah Hey or Yod Hey Vav Hey. And that is Y-H-W-H. Some have said that it should be pronounced Jehovah, but that's impossible because there's not a J in Hebrew. Some say it should be Yahovah or Yahovah, but I tend to believe the correct pronunciation is Yahweh, the personal name of God. Well, how did the correct pronunciation get lost? That's a question we need to ask. Well, most likely in around the 5th century BCE, or before the Common Era, uh, Jews decided that the name of God was so ineffable, ineffable, it was too holy to be uttered aloud. It was based on a very tight interpretation of the Third Commandment, not to take the name of the Lord in vain. 
And so they decided that common people should not even use the name of God, neither should priests or the high priest himself even utter the name of God except on appropriate and very holy days. In fact, it was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the 10th day of the seventh month, that the name of God was uttered once a year on the temple steps, and, and that was during the priestly prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But again, the original Hebrew translated Lord in number 6, 24 through 26, is Y-H-W-H. And so it really should have been Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh give you peace, make his face shine upon you, make his face shine upon you, which means favor overflowing into your life. Praise God. Well, when the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD, in order to punish them for their rebellion, there was no longer a proper setting for the name of God to be uttered because the temple was gone, the Jews were scattered, and so over a period of centuries, they lost the memory of the correct pronunciation. And now, interestingly, uh, when that name is read in synagogues or when that name appears in scripture in synagogues and the readings that are going on that day, they will insert the word Adonai instead. And curiously, Adonai is also a plural word. It's the plural form of the word Adon, which means Lord. But again, that's just a title. It's not a name. Well, I believe all of this was solved when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary and said, you shall call his name Yeshua, which is translated or tra transliterated into English as Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Yeshua, which means salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. See, the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a composite name. It's the triune name of the triune God. Lord is a reference to the Father. Jesus is a reference to the Son. And Christ, meaning anointed one, is a reference to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the triune name of the triune God, the true God out of all the gods of the world that are worshipped. If you'll call on that name, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not a name, not any contrived name created by human beings, but the revealed name of God that came from Gabriel to Mary and has been transferred to us through the scripture. That name alone brings salvation. And of course, that includes all the other ways that the name Yeshua has been transferred into other languages. All the other names in other languages that represent Jesus are still applicable to him. Praise God. So we have the true name of the true God. And when we call upon that name, we can expect to find salvation because that name connects us with the worldview surrounding the utterance of that name, because that name reveals a belief system that says he became sin for us on the cross, he was buried, 
and he rose again the third day and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming back again. When I say Jesus is connected to all of those true beliefs, the true revelation of the plan and the purpose of God. No wonder it's necessary to use the true name of God if we're going to connect with him. So I believe I've suitably answered the question that I asked at the beginning. Are all the names attributed to God legitimate? Absolutely not. You need to know the true name of the true God. Call on his name today and your life will be changed forever. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.